So Mike DeWine surprised everybody yesterday by removing the last remnants of his stay-at-home order. It's This Week in the CLE, the news podcast from Cleveland.com. I'm Chris Quinn, editor at Cleveland.com, with colleagues Jane Cahoon, Laura Johnston, and Chris Wernowski. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Morning. We got lots to talk about, so let's get right at it. Do we have to stay at home because of the coronavirus in Ohio anymore? Mike DeWine surprised everybody, I think, with uh, what he did in his briefing yesterday. Jane Cahoon, what did he announce? Well, no, you don't have to stay at home, but you should, according to the governor. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if you're, you're older or you have an underlying condition like heart or lung or kidney or liver disease, diabetes, obesity or you're immune compromised. But but now it's it's a recommendation. It's not a requirement. His delivery of the message was a little bit confusing yesterday. I think it's he's probably tired and he's putting his stuff together on the fly and Amy Acton wasn't there. But really, and, I mean, while this is a big moment, the stay-at-home order is officially lifted, it pretty much didn't exist anymore anyway, right? Because you could go to work, you could go shopping, you could go to stores. I mean, I'm, right. I, I don't, I don't, when were you really required anymore <laughs> to stay home? You know, the, the wording of the order was, I mean, Ohioans are ordered to stay at home. But then, of course, they kept, there, there were always exceptions for the grocery store and the pharmacy and so forth and taking care of, you know, your elderly relatives and so forth. But, you know, they, they started carving out so many more exceptions when they started reopening businesses that you're right. It didn't, it, I mean, it's not, it doesn't seem like a big change. How much of a stay at home order is it if you can leave your house to get a tattoo or your nails done? <laughs> and it just, it just didn't seem like it was, it was realistic. I do think, and again, I think they fumbled a little bit in the delivery. The message was there. But it wasn't it wasn't clear. I mean, basically, they've put so many rules in for the barbers, for the hair salons, for the tattoo parlors, for the office places, for everywhere else that they no longer felt like they needed the stay at home order. When they put the stay at home order in, there were no rules for how people should govern themselves when they get together in in various configurations. Now, all that stuff's pretty heavily regulated with some enforcement. So it did seem like the stay-at-home order became fairly extraneous. True, but there is uh, an important part of it that is still in place, and that is the mass gatherings limit of of 10 people. Of course, there are exceptions to that. Yeah, baseball games. Kids (laughs) can go play baseball. And and churches and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, that part technically is in place. I thought it was interesting, like the new branding they came up with, they're, they're calling it an Urgent Health Advisory, Ohioans Protecting Ohioans. So that was sort of trying to get the message across that you really still should stay home uh, whenever you can. And and one thing we didn't talk about yet is this uh, travel quarantine that was that was in the stay home order where they had asked people to, if they had go out of state or come in from out of the state, to self-quarantine for 14 days. So So that's gone now. Yeah, that's very meaningful to me. I've got a grandson that I never went three or four weeks without seeing, and it's been 10 weeks and he's in Michigan. So now I can go see him and not have to lock myself up. Uh, although my son has been tested, being tested for the coronavirus. And if he has oh, no. it, that'll go out the window. I, I, he doesn't have any symptoms, but there's a thought he was exposed. The other thing DeWine did, and he keeps doing, it's a good message. I just don't think it's resonating. He keeps going back with 
you know, do this for your neighbor. He even said the words, love thy neighbor. You should, you should do the distancing out of respect for those around you. You should wear a mask to keep others safe. Um, and it, you know, it's very much part of his, his Christian background that we've talked about in, in previous conversations, but it's not working. I mean, you, you know, there's so Certainly many places. Not among the, like some of his friends in the GOP in the state house, it's not working among them. They, they, uh, quashed an attempt to, to require masks during house but, proceedings. But even if you take away the, the fringe crazies that have turned this into, a, a Trump thing, you know, take away the 10% that are out protesting and saying, give me my liberty. There's still a lot of regular people that just don't wear masks. And if you're in the store with them, they, they aren't really paying attention to the, to the six feet. And I, you know, it just strikes me, what more can the governor do to get people to understand that this is like world war two, we're all in this together. We really need to rally with each other to, to defeat this thing. You know, I, we've all heard the stories of what happened in World War II. My dad would tell me, my grandmother would tell me, we're not seeing it, man. We're not seeing anything close. <laughs> he seems to have a lot of faith in Ohioans, you know, especially because we did flatten the curve by a lot of cooperation and so forth. But the, he's, he's, he's really putting a lot of trust in people that they're going to still follow these guidelines. And as we saw in the bars over the weekend, you know. Eh. So the hostility, though. I mean, Chris Wernaski talked earlier this week that he was in a store and some people took their masks off and they gently asked them to put them back on and it turned really ugly, right, Chris? Yeah. Well, first of all, I wasn't there. My girlfriend went to the store. This happened to her specifically. So I just want to make sure that I that didn't happen to me. But, you know, I... I have, you know, I politely asked people in my building to to put them on and they don't. It's, you know, it, you brought up the World War II thing. And, you know, you think of like what, like all of the things that people had to ration. Like if, like imagine if we had to like, for some, some weird reason, we had to ration like aluminum. Like there would be people out in the streets protesting for their right to have bacon. <laughs> like <laughs> we're bacon. They rationed bacon back then. There'd be people in the right. streets. Oh, like I have a right. I mean, look, we've kept, I mean, we literally have kept meat processing plants open in defiance of all common sense. So, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, in, in the, in the broader scope of things, you look at this and, and you just like, you feel disappointment. Like it's like, you know, when, when DeWine wants to appeal to our better angels, it's like, well, there's all it takes is like two not better angels to really muck up a lot of things. And, and so it's just, it's, it's that whole thing where like when your parents tell you like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just really <laughs> disappointed. And, and, and it is like every time I go out, I'm just like, Oh, like humanity could just be a little better. And this would be so much more easy to deal with. But which is why having DeWine have such faith in people is, is, is heartwarming, even if maybe misguided. Laura Johnson, I stepped on you a minute ago. What were you going to say? I was just saying, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens this weekend for Memorial day. This is, you know, people have looked forward to this weekend as the beginning of summer and I want to see how many people have barbecues in their backyard and really push that 10 people limit. The order still says, you know, you're not supposed to have non-essential travel. But then we have places like Put-in-Bay saying, come on, welcome, you know, wear your mask, stay your six feet away. But I do feel like we're getting some conflicting messages, you know, open the economy and help out. And 
enjoy yourself at the same time, stay home if you can. So I, I think there's disparate there. Although, Jane, wasn't there a question yesterday about, you know, this is the beginning of the vacation season and Houston did did give the tacit. Yeah. If people do that, they just need to be considerate and and be safe. There wasn't I, I didn't hear what Laura just said, that, that you should only have essential travel. I thought that I heard him say, yes, you you can do those things but just be considerate. Am I, the, am I they made it clear, DeWine did, and I believe this was also in the news release that they put out later, they are not encouraging travel. But, you know, they, as I said, they removed, <laughs> they removed the quarantine requirements. Foggy so. message. I do, I do yeah. feel like there was a lot of confusion. Do we even know when this starts? Because that was not clear in the news conference yesterday. As we're speaking, I, I just looked a little while ago and the, the order has is not posted yet. We're eagerly awaiting it to see when it takes effect, when it expires, if there are any, if there's anything in it Other that we didn't surprises. pick up on yesterday, etc. Well, the one thing that's clear about travel is Laura cannot return to her Canada cottage no. for the foreseeable oh. future, which via, which breaks with years of Memorial Day tradition, I believe. So sorry about that, Laura. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Does the Cuyahoga County Council agree with County Executive Armin Budish's dire predictions on property tax collections? We've talked about this in previous episodes of this podcast. The County Executive is predicting unprecedented drops in property taxes with no real clue about that. It's because they don't start collecting them for another few months. And he is cutting spending to accommodate that and drops in sales taxes. County Council, though, seems to have a different thought. Laura Johnston, what did we learn this week? Well, Cuyahoga County Council President Dan Brady actually called Armin Budish's projection of a 10% drop in property tax collections as, quote, pure conjecture. I mean, that's some pretty strong language coming out there. Dale Miller, a councilman, said he'd be surprised if property tax collections are anywhere close to the projections. And Councilwoman Sunny Simon asked for a plan that, quote, actually reflects a realistic projection. So these are some pretty strong words from council. Um, Budish wanted to cut the budget by 15 percent because of property tax drops, he expects, as well as sales tax. Brady said the county shouldn't ignore the fact that voters supported health and human services levy and they really want programs they don't want cuts. But what would be wrong with doing what Budish recommends for the next three months until the taxes start coming in? And then if if he's wrong, adjusting upward and restoring the services. The problem is if you wait until July and and it drops, like he says, you're going to have to make much bigger cuts to recover that money uh, in a shorter time frame. And I'm a little bit surprised uh, at the vehemence with which the county council spoke uh, because there is part of this that is fiscal prudence. Uh, if, if you can cut the services by 10% now, or you have to cut them by 20% later, you know, is who's going to have been right? And that's a good question. I don't think, that we know the answer to that because we won't know about property tax collections if they're down until at least August or September. But you're, you are correct in that it is easier to add something back into a budget than to all of a sudden cut to the bone. I think the issue is that there's just so much need right now 
with the coronavirus, with people out of work, with people who need food. We've seen what's happening at the food bank. And the council doesn't be, want to be the ones that say, sorry, we can't help you. Well, it'll be, it, it, did, did Budish defend himself? Was he present or was this done with his budget director? Do we know? I actually don't know that. It was like a Zoom call. Well, that's right. Everything's done by Zoom over there now. Okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I don't I don't have a firm response from him that I've... Well, it's, again, this is one where time will tell and, and it's not going to take a lot of time. We'll have to see how this turns out and who was right. It's this week in the CLE. Did we have warning signs that Ohio nursing homes were vulnerable to the coronavirus? John Caniglia was a longtime Plain Dealer reporter who did a project on nursing homes. He joined the Cleveland.com staff Monday and immediately used his expertise to produce some very interesting stories about nursing homes. Chris Ranaski, what uh, what did he find? So the short answer to the question is, yeah, there were some warning signs. Um, over the past three years, federal regulators issued over 1,100 citations against Ohio nursing homes for what are known as infection control issues, which are things that um, aides and staff failed to do to sort of protect from the spread of disease, like they were washing their hands after dealing with residents or they were using, you know, equipment that hadn't been cleaned or whatever. And Ohio actually ranked as one of the top states in the Midwest for these kinds of citations. And um, and this is important. And when, when it's related to the coronavirus, because re- researchers have long said that, um, how nursing homes manage this sort of provides a, a, a lot of insight in how they combat the spread of illness. So, you know, here we are with more than 670 residents dead from the coronavirus, and that makes up about 40% of total deaths across the entire state. And, and, and what people are suggesting is that there's kind of a domino effect that leads to problems like this in home. And so, you know, you have a low staffing at homes combined with overworked aides and workers, you know, it, it leads to shoddier treatment and, and, and more problems like this. So, and this was something like, you know, a good comparison I think would be, you know, since the state is actually using these things to kind of compare these communal populations, you know, the County jail in recent years, when it was understaffed and, in a giant congregate living situation, the risks for that population went up. So, you know, it's it, kind of the same thing is happening in nursing homes. Like when you have fewer people working longer hours and they're overstressed, it leads to this stuff. So, well, you know, what's sad about this is, is one of the themes of John's nursing home project, which I think it was 18 months ago, I can't remember the date, was understaffing, was the lack of inspections of nursing homes. It's like, I mean, we had, through John's work, fair warning about vulnerabilities in our nursing homes. And despite him pointing out these problems, they weren't corrected, which brings us to where we are now. Right. There's an equation that exists, I think, in, in the nursing home business. And, and, and keep in mind, a lot of these homes have been bought up by a handful of private companies that run these things all across the country. And so... You know, they're trying to sort of maximize the amount of money they make, you know, a lot of it coming from the government through Medicare and through Social Security and through trust, you know, so that leads to a lot of corner cutting in, in nursing homes and, and you see it everywhere. I mean, ask somebody who has a family member in a nursing home if they, if they feel like 
they need more staff. Talk to anybody who lives in a nursing home. I mean, my grandmother was in one up until her death last year. And it's difficult to really, you because you can't pay attention to it all the time. You can't be there all the time. I mean, I'm states away. And so, you know, it, it's nobody, well, spe- nobody will spe- tell you that, that the homes are properly staffed. And speaking of that, John has another nursing home story, which he does talk to some people who have relatives in a nursing home. Give a preview of it. Or has it gone up already? No, it's it's going up today, uh, Wednesday. So he he spoke to some families of of people who just haven't been able to visit their loved ones in the nursing homes. And 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 what he sort of touched on, and, and, and I mean, it's really sad. I, I, you know, this is, you know, having, he has one example of a family celebrating their mother's 90th birthday by, you know, standing on the other side of a pane of glass. And, you know, and you have people who are coming to grips with the idea that, you know, they may never ever get to sit in the same room with their relatives again and yeah. hug them and, and talk to them. And he, he pointed out that the federal government issued some guidelines that states should use to determine whether they can reopen visitations in nursing homes. And the standards are all next to impossible. And and it's, it, you know, it, all, right, all right, all right, all right. We don't want to give away the whole story. Right, right. Can I jump in here for a second? Yeah. This is Go ahead, Jane you know, Rich Exner every week has been looking for the new data that the Ohio Department of Health posts on the deaths and the cases in nursing homes. They've been really spotty about the way they've been reporting it. But I believe the data only reflects the deaths since mid-April. And so he's been seeking other numbers. I think the next time this gets reported, that 40% figure is is going to be like way higher. And that should be today, right? I mean, it if should they, be today, they uh, but, up again. but the last couple of weeks, they've missed their Wednesday promise. All right. So two pieces to look forward to. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Can I get into Canada during the coronavirus pandemic? This is a question near and dear to Laura Johnston's heart. She's a regular traveler to Canada. Laura, you can't go, can you? This is, you definitely cannot go. Whether I can or not is a very <laughs> good question. I am Canadian. I was born there. I moved to the States when I was four. Um, but the the border has been closed already for 60 days. It'll be closed for 30 more until June 21st. And only essential business is allowed over the border. So, that includes Canadians in general, but I'm not a Canadian resident and I don't pay taxes there. Um, my parents called the information line to see if we would qualify to go up because we have a cottage near Sarnia where I'm from. But it's actually up to each individual custom guard to for you to persuade them that you deserve to go into the country. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Every custom guard gets to decide if they like to look at your face I mean, face they have something? guidelines. And wow. but they don't, you know, there's no hard and fast rule. Like if you are a Canadian citizen that you are allowed, or if you own property here, you are allowed. Uh, people who live and work on either side of the border and need to cross, they're going back and forth. Essential business, like um, machine parts, supply chains, they're going back and forth. But people... If, no. if you went, could you come back? Is there also a question about whether you'd be readmitted into the United States? I think that would be a much easier to prove that I'm essential in the United States and that I have a house and a job. And, you know, I'll just call you and be like, I'm really, I need to get back to the States so I can keep reporting. I think that would be an easier case than I need to go to my cottage for a long weekend. 
But for now, it's the border is rigid for most people for the foreseeable future. Yeah, right? yeah. There's been a lot of pressure on Canadian government to keep it closed because Canada has really kept their cases of coronavirus down. For example, Ontario has 14.5 million people, so that's about three million more than Ohio. There are 22,000 cases of coronavirus, fewer than 2,000 deaths. That borders Michigan and New York, and those are two hot spots in the United States. Michigan has 51,000 cases and nearly 5,000 deaths. So if you look at a place like Detroit, which is a total hotspot, right across the Detroit River is Windsor. Those two cities usually have a lot of back and forth traffic and very much are united. But right now, they just they don't want the disease to come through. What's interesting, it's the same debate that goes on in America, the economy versus the health of the the nation. And it seems like Canada, there's a lot of tourism money yes. that goes from the United States to Canada and Windsor in particular. Um, and they Niagara don't care. Falls, yeah, they don't right now. And, and Canadians normally have school through the end of June and they don't go back till after Labor Day. So a lot of people think of Canada Day, July 1st as the beginning of summer. So then this Memorial Day doesn't mean the same exact thing. You know, they have Victoria Day was last weekend. Um, but so I, I have firm faith. I'm, I'm really believing it's going to open on June 21st and we're not going to see another 30 day uh, delay. OK, we'll have to see. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Are scammers using the coronavirus pandemic to take advantage of people in greater Cleveland? In any crisis, people see the opportunity to scam people out of their money. Uh, there was a warning issued in Cuyahoga County this week about it. Chris Warnowski, what are we hearing? Uh, as sure as the sun rises, <laughs> the scammer <laughs> yeah. came, came out of the closet on this one. While there have not been any reports in Cuyahoga County just yet, um, they issued a warning to be on the lookout for people who are posing as contact tracers. Um, I don't know if, if people remember a couple of weeks ago, the the governor announced that the state is going to be hiring something like 1800 of these, of these people to sort of be, I don't know, like disease detectives to help kind of track down anyone that people who has been diagnosed with coronavirus has come in contact with to sort of detect the spread and see where it came from. And numerous states now have reported that people are getting phone calls and text messages uh, saying, you know, you have coronavirus, we need to speak with you. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, this is this is an age old grift in an age of grifting. And and so people are sort of starting to fall for it. So to sort of preempt what they see is something that's probably going to happen around here. And it's probably already happened around here, but it may not get reported because people are embarrassed by these things. But um, they, they put out notice yesterday saying, like, be on the lookout for this. And of course, you know, the telltale sign of this is that a contact tracer is never supposed to ask you for your social security number. They're never going to ask you anything about your finances. Uh, common sense should dictate that if somebody's asking you about illness, they're not going to need to look up your net worth. So if that happens, maybe curse them out a little bit, hang up on them. Just don't give them anything that's that's too personal. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the cases get reported here. Yep. Okay, this week in the CLE. Did Annie Glenn, the wife of the late astronaut and U.S. Senator John Glenn, die from the coronavirus? The centenarians, which Annie Glenn was, have been dying in fairly large percentages because of COVID-19. Uh, Jane Cahoon, is that what, what uh, took the life of Annie Glenn? 
it appears so. The way the way they described it is that she died from complications of COVID nineteen. She was in a nursing home in Minnesota. The um, there was a study that just came out out of New York that uh, that eighty percent of the people over eighty who were put on ventilators in the New York hospitals that were studied died anyway. That that this really is a a, a virus that is hardest on the oldest of our, our residents. Uh, the, the story I read that said there were, I forget, 40,000 people that are hundred or over in the United States and a whole bunch of them have died because of the coronavirus. It kind of gets it what the governor, Mike DeWine said in his briefing yesterday, where he really urged a caution on the elderly and those with underlying conditions to stay home because this is so dangerous for them. Right. He certainly did. And I think this hits home because Annie Glenn was such a beloved figure here in Ohio and around the country. She was a really inspiring person. She she overcame stuttering in the 70s and became a champion for people with communication disorders and so forth. I realize I'm going off on a little tangent here, but, you know, when it when that happens to somebody, it, it really it really brings it home a little more. Yeah, the governor basically said that without Annie Glenn, there wouldn't have been a John Glenn, that they were... Oh, inseparable. Yeah, they were childhood sweethearts, always, always together. Yeah, and it's one of those cases where, you know, John Glenn died, what, less than a year ago, and then she passes less than a year ago. No, I think it was in 2016, but it was... It was was it? I I believe it was... Yeah, you're right, Jane. It's Laura Johnston. I checked that. I read Sabrina Eaton's story, and I was like, "Wow, I really felt like that was last year." Yeah, yeah, it, it was just, longer ago than you thought. Yeah, uh, 2016. All right, man, oh man, time's flying. <laughs> okay, so this week in the CLE, why did the director of the Akron Museum of Art resign? This has been a controversial uh, museum for past few months involving allegations of racism and sexism. Laura Johnston, what's going on there? So Steve Litt has been reporting this uh, very um, continuing saga at the Akron Art Museum, but Mark Masuoka, he's directed the art museum since 2013. He resigned from his post on Monday. That was several weeks after news stories revealed allegations of racism, sexism, and bullying of employees by managers during his tenure. The board of trustees accepted the tenure or the, accepted the resignation on Monday. They didn't make it public until Tuesday. And we don't have a lot of details about severance or anything, but um, it seems that Two former employees had heard the director use what they described as racially coded language to describe black residents of Akron. This uh, this kind of stayed underground uh, when the allegations surfaced until various elements of the news media caught wind of it and started reporting it. Right. Yeah. It, it sounds like there was an art publication that was the first one to publish this but the letter originally was in 2019 june of 2019 so it is this has been brewing for nearly a year well it sounds like it's coming to a conclusion now and that uh that they'll end up trying to enter a new era it's this week in the cle what is an ubi loop i'm not even sure i'm pronouncing that correctly maybe <laughs> it's an albi loop but it's uh it's something that people might want to learn about. Chris Ranowski, what is it? I feel like you asked me to talk about this because I have big ears, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, actually, like when I, when I was reading about this, I thought this was actually a very interesting thing. Um, there, there's a, 
a manufacturer in, by the name of Quinn Hale in uh, Lakewood, who is the owner of a company called Copper Kerf Manufacturing, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. And they created this thing called the the Ubi Loop, which if you've had to wear a mask or if you are, you know, a decent human being who is wearing masks <laughs> during all of it, um, different people are making these. So there's no real standard on how they're supposed to fit and everything. And so, you know, sometimes they kind of fit differently over your ears and sometimes they bend your ears forward if they're a little small. And and so this is it's like a silicon. I don't know how to describe it, really. It's like a mat that that goes on the back of it and then the instead of hooking over your ears the mask sort of hooks over this little silicon thing that goes on the back of your head and there there are other things like this that are on the market and and Quinn who the maker of them uh, said that you know a lot of them aren't as pliable as the silicon and so they kind of dig into the back of your head if you if you're wearing them. So this one is designed to be a little more comfortable. I actually think so basically it's, it ta- it takes the straps away from the back of your ears where it might irritate your ears or make you look like you're a car down the road with going down the road with the doors open. Right. Yeah, and, right. And pulls it all the way around to the back. So it's just a more comfortable thing. Yeah, it's really neat. I mean, it's a really good example of some local innovation for for something that doesn't seem like a huge problem, but if we're going to have to be wearing these for, you know, the foreseeable future, I mean, it is going to become kind of a, an annoying thing. And I think, you know, maybe pulling that off your ears as we get into the sweaty days of the summer. I mean, it's also really hard, you know, because we haven't been able to really get proper haircuts (laughs) that, you know, your hair does bunch up over, you know, your ears. And so, I mean, there's just a lot of reasons why this is a a good thing to, an interesting invention and, and something that, I certainly would like to try out. How do you get one? Uh, you can you can order them online, like you can everything else in the world right now. Okay. Uh, but um, so people can just go and check out Annie Nikoloff's story that's on the website now, and it has all the details about how you can get your hands on them and a picture of what it looks like in yeah. case people aren't aren't seeing it. It's this week in the CLE. Okay, that's it. We're out of time. We'll have to save a couple of topics for tomorrow in case there's not enough news happening today. Uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks to Jane. Thanks to Chris. Thanks to Laura. Thanks to everybody who listened. This week in the CLE will return tomorrow. 